Good morning again. Please take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Exodus, second book of the Bible, book of Exodus. Have you ever come to a point in your life where everything is going just absolutely wonderful and then uh, it doesn't? You know, it's kind of like you, you buy a brand new car. And I had this happen to me actually one time. I bought a brand new car. Uh, well, it was new to me. Uh, but didn't get 500 miles mileage on it. and It started breaking down. It would just stop right in the middle of intersections. That's a pretty dangerous thing to do. But, you know, it's just like life. You know, everything's going along great and things start breaking down. And, and what you had planned... Uh, isn't coming to fruition and, and what you think God has been leading you to do uh, that's not what you're supposed to be doing even in the life of this church uh, you think that God is leading the church along and all of a sudden all kind of misery happens what do we do about that and, and how do we fix that well, if you look at the book of Exodus, uh, chapter 15, you will see that Israel, you know, what is, what's new to us in our dilemma may not be new in history because Israel faced the same thing uh, thousands of years ago. But in chapter 15 of Exodus, look at verse 22 through 26. It says, Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went out into the wilderness ashore, and they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore it was named Marah. So the people grumbled at Moses, saying, What shall we drink? Then he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree, and he threw it into the waters, and the waters became sweet. There he made for them a statute and regulation, and there he tested them. And he said, if you'll give earnest heed to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight and give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of these diseases on you which I've put on the Egyptians. For I, the Lord, am your healer. Listen to that last part again. For I, the Lord, am your healer. There is nobody, there is nobody in this world, there is no force in this universe, apart from God, who can, quote-unquote, take care of business. Uh, I don't care who you get to be your pastor. Uh, I don't care who you get to be your transitional pastor. I don't care who your leadership team consists of. If we do the work without God's leadership, it'll, it'll come to naught. So, let's have a word of prayer, and then let's look at this scripture and see how God speaks to us through his word about the kind of people, the kind of church that we need to be. Father, I thank you that, uh, that, you, have, that you have led us to this point in time in history. Uh, Father, uh, nothing that is happening is a surprise to you. You are a God who is all-knowing, all-powerful, Lord, you're a God who is everywhere, and Father, uh, for you, time is the eternal now. So we just ask in Jesus' name, Father, 
that you give us ears to hear what your word says. In Christ's name, amen. Before I look at the text, or we look at the text this morning, I think it would be useful for us to, to take a quick look at, at some things in the previous chapter, chapter 14. And in chapter 14, you find Israel is being pursued by Pharaoh and his army. They had just left Egypt some, some days earlier, and now Pharaoh decides that let's bring these people back because, man, we're missing a whole bunch of workers. So they go after Israel, and they want to bring them back. And if they're not going to bring them back, they're probably going to kill them there in the wilderness. So God instructs Moses to cross the people over the Red Sea. Now, they have Pharaoh's army behind them, the Red Sea in front of them. They're, they're, they're kind of in a conundrum. Uh, if we go backwards, we're going to get killed. If we go forwards, we're going to die anyway. Uh, there's not much choice left. You either go forward or backward. Just like a church, you're either going to go forward or backward. One is sudden death, and the other one is uh, sudden death. You have nowhere to go. I went to a church one time uh, years ago, uh, and the church had, uh, had been a, a, a good-sized church at one time, had dwindled down to about 20 people. I walked up to the chairman of the deacons. I says, tell me, I says, how much money do you have in a bank? He said, about $12,000. That little building was run down. It was just collapsing. I says, let me ask you. I said, let me ask you a question. Do you want to cut the dog's tail off all at one time or just bit by bit? He says, let's cut the tail off all at once. I said, okay. I said, we're going to take that $12,000 and we're going to spend it. No questions asked. We're going to spend it. Let me tell you what happened. This little Southern Baptist church in, a, in Nebraska, we started fixing up that building. It had been just, there was curtains and blinds just hanging there. Before I know it, the Charismatics and the Pentecostals and the Assembly of Gods start coming over to help us. It wasn't just a Baptist effort, it was a kingdom effort. When it was all said and done, about two years later, that church went from 18 to about 90 people. Not because I did anything. It's because the people had determined that this, is, this was an act of God. And in order for God to get them to where they were going to be, they had to go through, through some things to get there. The problem that we have sometimes is we, we know where, where we want to be, but we don't want to go through some things to get there. Israel knew where it wanted to be. It wanted to be on the other side of the, the Red Sea. But in order to get across the Red Sea, you've got to go through some things to get there. And there's a whole mess of water laying out there before them. It says in, in Exodus 14, 22, the sons of Israel went through the midst of the sea on dry land and the waters were like a wall on them on the right hand and on their left. When Pharaoh and his army attempted to follow Israel across the Red Sea, what do we find out concerning that in verse 24, chapter 14? It says, the Lord looked down on the army of the Egyptians. Notice it wasn't Israel. It was the Lord. The Lord looked down on the army of the Egyptians and brought the army of the Egyptians into confusion. 
And then in verses 28 and 29, listen. It says, the waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen, even Pharaoh's entire army that had gone into the sea after them. Not even one of them remained. But the sons of Israel walked on dry land through the midst of the sea, and the waters were like a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. And finally, it says in verse 30, Thus the Lord saved Israel that day. God saved Israel that day. Just as the Lord saved Israel from their oppressor. Just as he saved them from their oppressor. So he has saved you and I from ours. The Bible says he has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. But then we like Israel, because we are the new spiritual Israel, aren't we? We are spiritual Israel. We like Israel must face our wilderness. You see, after the Red Sea, God didn't just send them into the promised land because that's what we want in life. We want to cross whatever, whatever valley, whatever sea is there, and then we think we're going to enter into the promised land. But that's not what God did. When they crossed the Red Sea, where did they go? Into the wilderness. And you know, Baptists don't like wilderness. You know, I know you may not mind camping out, but you probably don't want to camp out for 40 years straight. We need to face our wilderness. And just as Israel did, we, after our salvation, after we are saved, after God does a work in our lives, and there's conversion that's taking place. The Holy Spirit of God has regenerated our, our hearts, and we confess our sins, and we're repentant for our sins, and come to know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, and have that conversion experience. It is at that point that we realize that we've not entered into the promised land, but we've entered into the wilderness and there is rejoicing after we're saved there is celebration we're shouting praises but look at verse 23 of chapter 15 verse 23 says when they came to Mara and this is the problem because every one of us have to come to Mara and the church must come to Mara when they came to Marah, they could not drink the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore, it was named Marah. What was just a short while earlier, a time of celebration, a time of, of dancing and singing and all that, has now become a time of despair and distress. Israel, Israel, just three days earlier, walked on dry ground across the Red Sea. They had experienced the powerful hand of God upon the uh, people of Egypt in the plagues. They saw God's leading them by a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. They celebrated their, their victory with song and dance. But then along comes verse 23. Along comes Mara. Bitter water. Bitter times. Hardship. What began by faith has now turned into sight. Life is evaluated at this point in time. Life is evaluated by what we see, smell, taste, touch, and hear. 
And these physical senses seem to over, even override the, the, the providence, the very providence of God. Because we no longer pay attention to what God is saying. We begin to pay attention to our circumstances. It's like Peter on the waters. He's walking along the water. And, and he realizes that, that there's a storm about him. And the waves are high. And the water is roaring. And there's white caps on the sea. He takes his eyes off of Jesus and he begins to sink. Because now everything's experienced by the physical, not the spiritual. There's a lesson to be learned here. There is nothing in this earthly existence that meets or matches what God has in mind for those of us who are in Christ. We begin our spiritual journey all revved up, fired up for Jesus. Everything is great. It is wonderful. But then we get to the wilderness. And the spiritual self, the spiritual beings that we are, are taken over by the physical self. The empirical senses take over. And the physical begins to filter into our minds, and, and then it determines for us the very value of what we are spiritually. Rather than having a spiritual determine the physical, it is at that point where the physical determines the spiritual. You want to refresh your spiritual life, but there are some things going on in your life that are just mara, bitter. Look at verse 24. It says, so the people grumbled at Moses saying, what shall we drink? Man, I'm glad I'm a Baptist because we never grumble. Better have a t-shirt out for us. Baptist, we don't get mad, we get even. <laughs> Israel was looking for water, cool, clear water. What they found, though, was the water of weariness. There was nothing in their thinking to refresh their thirsty souls. And isn't it so much like us today who find our deliverance in Jesus and then a short while later we find our, they, they, they hoped, we hoped to find our source of refreshment from the things of this world rather than from Jesus. Why do we do that? Why, why do we begin with Jesus and get all excited about Jesus in us, Jesus in us, the hope of glory, why do we get excited about that and then just a short while later the, the, the spiritual significance of who we are and what we are is, is diminished and the physical surfaces. Jesus says in John seven thirty seven, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me. Let him come to me and drink. Who are we going to or what are we going to when things look bitter out there, who do we go to? Do we go to the preacher? Do we go to the deacons? Do we go to whatever other committee might be in the church? Who are we going to when things are not going the way we want them to go? Who do we turn to? When we don't find anything of this world 
to satisfy the needs of our souls, then we begin to realize that what the world has to offer us is mara. It is bitter. We need to come to that realization that what the world wants to offer you is bitter. It's not sweet. It's not refreshing. It's bitter. We enter into the Christian life, and a short while after that, as Christ was, we are sent into the world of wilderness. Don't you hate going into the wilderness? You know, the best we can ever do in a wilderness is survive. That's what wilderness is for. Can you survive in the wilderness? It's not a place of success. It's a place of survival. Our journeying in this world comes with a biblical admonition. And this is what Paul says. This is, about, this is, this is the story of our journey in this world. He says in Colossians 3, 23 and 24, set your mind, listen, set your mind on things above, not on the things that are on the earth. For your life, for, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Jesus went into the wilderness to prepare himself to do the very will of his father, didn't he? Jesus, after he was baptized, after that spiritual wild that took place in the Jordan River, and the Spirit of God comes down upon him, the voice of the Father speaks out. Could you imagine that happening at your baptism, that the Spirit of God descends upon you, the voice of God is heard as you're being baptized? Listen, that would, that would cause all of us to have goosebumps, wouldn't it? Jesus had a spiritual high, and then right after that, the Spirit leads him into the wilderness. And there he meets the devil. The devil comes along and attempts to get Jesus to be self-serving. He says, Jesus, you know what you need to do? You need to feed all this world by turning all these stones into bread. Jesus, you know what you need to do? You need to jump off the pinnacle of the temple and show them what a great God of miracles that you are. And people look and go, whoa, man. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus, you know what you need to do? You need to worship me and I'll let you, have, I'll let you be the president of the whole world. Just think, if Jesus were the president of the whole world, we could say to ourselves, what a wonderful world, couldn't we? Just like the song. But I'm going to tell you, if Jesus had done any of these three things, the moment we died, the moment we died, we'd spend eternity in hell because we would have no redeemer. There'd be no blood of Christ being sacrificed. There'd be no, no possibility of redemption accomplished or applied for us. We would die and go to hell. You see, when we enter into the wilderness, we need to determine in the midst of the wilderness, what is God's will for me? And yeah, there are some bitter things in the wilderness. Some of the water there is bitter. And some things that happen in our lives are bitter. But those bitter things that happen are not, are not there to discourage you. They're there to mature us. To help us to grow. To help us to evaluate and reevaluate who we are and especially who God is. 
for Israel. They had to have this bitter water. And when things don't go the way you want, when you're stuck there in the wilderness, and and everything appears that things are not going the way that they should go, the first thing we do when things are going bad for us, we're looking for either someone or something to blame our circumstances on. So verse 24 of our text says, so here's what they did. They grumbled at Moses. And it wasn't just a church like this. There was over two million of them. You know, pastoring, when you're pastoring a church, it's okay once in a while when you're swimming in the Red Sea. Once in a while you see a shark coming at you. But pastoring is like you're sitting in the middle of the Red Sea and there's 50 million little minnows nibbling at you. They grumbled at Moses. The poor guy. What am I going to do? Two million people grumbling. Poor Israel. Poor Israel. All they had to, all they had to eat for 40 years was manna. And all they had to drink was mara. Manna and mara, the two evil twins. Poor, poor Israel. In Numbers 11, chapter 11, verses 5 and 6. This is what it says. This is what Israel says. This is what Israel says. We remember the fish which we used to eat free in Egypt the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic. But now our appetite is gone. Mine would be too fine to eat that, by the way. But now our appetite is gone. There is nothing at all to look at except this manna. Isn't it amazing? God took one day, God took one day to move Israel out of Egypt. But Israel took 40 years to get Egypt out of Israel. We want to go back. We want to go back where we are tortured and beaten and made slaves of and in bondage so that we could have leeks and onions and cucumbers and garlic. And Jesus says, come to me, all who labor and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Jesus has a whole banquet table filled. And we're going to settle for leeks, onions, and garlic? I don't think so. Here's the question. How do we fix what is broken in our lives? Or I, I, I could ask it this way. How do we get the world out of our system so that we may be able to function as disciples of our Lord? Look at verse 25, and just the first part of 25. Then he cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree, and he threw it into the waters, and the waters became sweet. God led you And God has led this church to this very moment in history. 
God led you and God has led this church to this very moment in history. The question is, do you believe that God is big enough and God is powerful enough and God is all-knowing enough and God is sovereign enough for you and us to get all the provision that we need in order that when we face bitter water, that we don't look at the water that the world has to offer us, but when we face those difficult times, when bitter water comes our way, that we look upon the Lord who has led us there. If God has led us there, then God will provide for us there. I am not going to look to this world, nor will you look to this world for our answers. But we will look to the Lord. Folks, we may wander in the wilderness of life as long as we live and never see the cure for our need in meeting our spiritual desires. We become so busy trying to figure out what is spiritual by our using physical eyesight that we fail to see what God has placed right in front of us. Verse 25 says, listen, they never saw it. They never saw it. Moses never saw it. The people never saw it. But verse 25 says, the Lord showed him a tree. He didn't see it, but it was right there before him. So the Lord showed him a tree. The tree has been there all the while, but Israel was so busy complaining that they didn't see the cure for their complaint. Think of this. Did it ever occur to you that when you find yourself between a rock and a hard place, that you and me ought to do what Moses did? There's one thing left. Folks, when you come to a point in your life where there's an army behind you who wants to kill you, and there's a river out, there's a sea out there that's going to drown you, have you ever come to a point where all that's left for me to do is pray? I went to my doctor one time, and I was, I was really feeling miserable. I went to my doctor, and, and my doctor was a Christian, was a Christian man, was a Christian man. I have another doctor now, but I went to this doctor, and, and he looks at me, and he's the stethoscope, the blood pressure thing, open up your mouth, and, you know, and, you know, and tap you on the back, and he says, breathe in, and all, you know, all that stuff. And then, after he does all that exam, he says, you know what? He says, let me pray for you. I said, man, has it come to that? That's all that's left? There's not a pill? Let me pray for you? That's exactly what should happen. That's exactly what should happen. Let me pray for you. We're talking to the God who made this universe. Of course we're going to pray. We should cry out to the Lord. I want to show you something. Psalm 107. Psalm 107. I don't know if you ever noticed this before or not. I want to begin by looking at verse, the first part of verse 4. It says, they wandered in the wilderness in a desert region. Talking about Israel. Israel wandered in the wilderness in a desert region. Look at verse 6. They cried out to the Lord in their trouble. He delivered them out of their distresses. Look at verse 13. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them out of their distresses. Verse 19. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them out of their distresses. Verse 28. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he brought them out of their distresses. And then finally in verse 30. After God had 
deliver them over and over and over and over. They came to the realization that God had continued to deliver them out of all their distresses. And then it finally hits them. Then they were glad and they were quiet. No more grumbling. No more complaining. Then they were glad because they were quiet. So he guided them to their desired haven. When we focus on who God is. And we are still and know that he is God. When we see striving and know that he is God. When we put our trust in God. Then he will take us to our safe haven. God's plan was to get Israel from a prison to a promised land. Just as he has taken us from being captive to sin and Satan to being conformed to the image of his son Jesus Christ. The problem in either case is that it requires, it requires a journey. A, and prayer, prayer is an essential part of that journey. And listen to this. What was and what is invisible in the physical becomes visible in the spiritual. God showed Moses a tree. Not just any tree, but a sweetening tree. A tree that provided an abundance of God's providential graces. And this provision of a tree that would sweeten the bitter water is a type of the cross of Jesus Christ. Peter says in, in chapter, uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, he says, Who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree. The bitterness of the sufferings of Jesus, which led to his death, has altered the offensiveness of our sins. His curse of death on the cross, on the tree, became our cure for the bitterness of death. Because of Christ's redemptive work on the cross, we ought to cry out as Paul did. O oh, death, where is your victory? O oh, death, where is your sting? Mara was made sweet by a tree. It is the cross of Jesus Christ that now sweetens the bitterness of a life that is in bondage to Satan. As a believer, you and I face the prospects of journeying through the wilderness. And that wilderness is called life. As we journey along, there will be a time, my friends, for each one of us, for some of us sooner. I know there's a whole lot more road behind me than what there is left ahead of me. But there is coming a time when we shall all cross that final sea. And then we will enter into God's promised land. A place where as a Christian we are already spiritually positioned. And this is true for each one of us who are in Christ Jesus. In Christ we are loved. In Christ we are made alive. In Christ we are raised up. In Christ we are seated in heavenly places. My friends, we need to look for the tree, the cross, not the bitter stuff of life, 
Quit looking at the bitterness in your life and begin looking at the tree that's right in front of you. There is a tree that is right in front of you. That tree is not just an ordinary tree. That tree is the cross of Jesus Christ. Whatever is going on in your life, in your home, in your church, at work, whatever, whatever is going, whatever bitterness is out there, listen, that which sweetens that life is not what you find physically. That which sweetens that life is what Christ has provided for you on the cross. That sweetens the life. Because whatever Christ experienced, he experienced for you that his death is your life. His righteousness is now imputed to you. Whatever the world can do to you, whatever they can take from you, whatever punishment they can dish out towards you, however they may want to persecute you, can never rob you of the very things I just spoke of, that in him you are loved, in him you're made alive, in him you are raised up, in him you're seated in heavenly places. The world can never have that, but you can in Jesus Christ. That is your sweetening tree. It is not a time to grumble. It's a time to rejoice. If God has led us here, then let us here rejoice. Because God has got a plan. And no force on earth, no power in hell, nothing in this universe can thwart what God has decreed. It will come to pass. I close with this prayer. Thank you, God, for the wilderness. Please grant to us spiritual eyes in order that we may see all that you have providentially set before us in Jesus' name.